Welcome to CAE Podcast with your host, Ilan Gagnon, Vice President, Public Affairs and Global Communications at CAE. This special edition podcast brings together CAE defense and security, healthcare, and civil aviation training solutions to talk about COVID-19 and new perspectives on training. Check us out at cae.com forward slash defense dash security forward slash or subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. Okay, well, hello, everyone, and welcome to CAE Radio Podcast. I have the tremendous pleasure of having three of CAE's most forward visionaries here with me today. So first, we have uh, Amar Patel, who's the Chief Learning Officer at CAE Healthcare. Welcome, uh, Amar. And we have Chris Ranganathan, Chief Learning Officer at CAE Civil Aviation Training Solutions. Welcome, Chris. And uh, finally, we have uh, Joe Armstrong, who's Vice President of Global Business Operations Products and Solutions at CAE Defense and Security. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. Uh, and uh, so during today's podcast, uh, we'll discuss how COVID-19 has had an impact on training for CAE's customers and the industry. So we'll look at how CAE has innovated to support its customers during the pandemic and what the new reality of training will be like going forward. So uh, why don't we just uh, jump right into it. And uh, first, maybe I'm going to ask you, uh, Joe, to tell us uh, how has the pandemic impacted training for CAE's customers in the defense and security world? Sure. Well, you know, Helena, our, our number one focus is certainly the safety of our employees and our customers across all of our facilities worldwide. And one of the unique things I think about our defense business is uh, unlike many other areas and sectors of the economy, you know, defense and security has been declared as an essential service from governments the world over. And so the partnership that we have as a company with our customers, you know, in every nation in which we work has allowed us to continue to think about creative ways of delivering our training services to those customers to ensure that they are always mission ready and capable of performing the duties that they're asked to do on a daily basis. Uh, over 90% of our operational sites are actually operational today and uh, continuing to deliver that service and those support to defense forces. So it's been a very interesting journey for us as we've gone through the requirement to maintain and sustain operations and yet making sure that we're actually doing that in the sense of protecting our people, protecting our employees, and certainly protecting you know, our customers and the men and women who operate military services around the world. Um, in some cases, we've actually taken the opportunity to take the great training capacity that we have and morph that into emergency management training. And in fact, I can point to areas of the world like Brunei, where we operate a multi-purpose training center on behalf of the Bruneian government, where we've actually taken emergency management courseware and started to deliver that not only to Bruneians, but other nations around the world. And so I think that's a testament to our agility as a company to take the concepts that you know uh, really reside deep within us in terms of providing a training service to be able to adapt to this new reality continue to deliver that service and then think about ways that we can even enhance you know the traditional types of skills that we provide and then provide that to support our customers worldwide thanks uh, joe and maybe uh, chris if i turn to you for civil aviation how has the the pandemic impacted training for ca's customer in your world well, Elena, I think as uh, as as expected with the downturn in world traffic, um, airlines have been conservative about uh, uh, about their training requirements, and we've seen a reduction in um, in training demand across all business segments in um, commercial aviation and business aviation, and, and to some extent in the flight training. 
So apart from their conservatism, in, in many cases, customers that, that would have liked to travel to trading centers have been restricted by travel bans and, and uh, availability of hotels in some cases uh, to, to, uh, to position their people to our trading centers. So there's been a general drop off in training. We've seen that bottom out. We're beginning to pick that up again now. Uh, of our 50 trading centers worldwide, those that have stayed open, primary focus has been on um, employee and, uh, and trainee safety, like, like Joe mentioned, and we've employed pr- protocols to, to manage that going forward. For the cadet or ab initio training programs, uh, where there's been an interruption to flight training because the center's closed or the students have stayed away due to local health uh, requirements, we've anticipated a loss in proficiency as they've uh, spent time away from the cockpit. We've had to evaluate uh, how long that's been and then adapt the curriculum uh, to ensure they pick up where they left off. Okay, thanks. Um, and Amar, on your side, we're uh, facing a major public uh, health yeah. <laughs> pandemic from a public health uh, issue. So how has this pandemic affected the training of the uh, professionals in the medical world? I think it's completely flipped it uh, upside down a little bit, right? So so much of healthcare has been reliant on uh, in-person education and training and competency assessments and tools. And all of a sudden now we're living a world of where everything is uh, is forced to be digital, right? And you know, certainly for us, uh, the health and well-being of our employees is priority as we work closely with healthcare professionals in, in their institutions. And so certainly that's changed the landscape of how we provide education and training. Uh, on top of that, uh, a lot of the elements that we considered healthcare norms in terms of training have completely changed, right? The world of in-person training, doing clinicals inside of a hospital, the ability to be able to access uh, certain tools like uh, personal protective equipment, face masks, shields, gloves, all doesn't exist anymore in a pandemic, right? It's very much tied to making sure that our patients are taken care of and are safer. And so it's certainly forced us uh, into look at uh, more unique offerings of digital. And the unique thing, uh, you know, for us at CAE has been, we've been in this in this pathway for digital uh, for, for some time. So it was just adopting to the new times and really helping our customers see the value of content and education in the digital world um, and certainly help them change the culture around them. So for healthcare, it's been a, it's certainly been a massive change across the board and, and uh, certainly looking at how uh, just-in-time training is now pivotal more than ever to ensure competency. Absolutely. And uh, maybe if I uh, come back to you, uh, Chris, on the civil uh, side, uh, we know that uh, a lot of the uh, aircraft are grounded in uh, many uh, commercial uh, airlines in the world, but uh, what types of training have been uh, most needed during the pandemic and uh, how has the training delivery changed or been uh, modified? In in terms of uh, uh, the types of training required, it's been more or less uh, a general reduction overall. There's not been one specific type of training that's required more than another. Um, In uh, where the trading has dropped off in the commercial aviation. It's taken a while to come back, whereas in, in, in business aviation, we've seen a bounce back far quicker, um, especially in, in North America, as travel restrictions have been, have been uh, uh, reduced. But what has changed is when trading has come back, uh, the way we deliver trading is significantly uh, um, altered. And, and like Amar said, we were on the path to digital in any event, and, um, and we weren't alone. I mean, the Corporate learning and development departments have been delivering training remotely for years at, at, at large scale. Uh, the aviation, specifically the civil aviation market, 
has been somewhat conservative because we were so heavily regulated about the use of technology and distance learning uh, in, for for credit training. But that's changed. And we, with, with COVID, we work with regulators, deliver much of our ground training in uh, using virtual life quite quite as much as we're doing today. Um, we, this is both in uh, pilot training and technician training for, for maintenance as well. Uh, we also have been able to deliver a lot of primary flight training grounds using uh, remote uh, uh, training facilities. And this has required significant cooperation. It's required significant education uh, externally to authorities and, and, to, and to customers as that this was actually possible. But it's also required us to change uh, some of the courseware we've developed because we could not sim- simply take courseware that we developed for an in-person uh, training experience and adapt it uh, to, to, off- uh, to remote learning. Uh, and plus, it's required some some retraining of our instructors uh, to use technology, uh, and uh, as well as to, to manage uh, perhaps more than one uh, learner having difficulty accessing uh, the, the, the training. So that's been a bit of a learning curve for us, and we've gotten better as we've we've done that. And um, yeah, what we've been proactive in doing, is, and we've reached out to to authorities and industry bodies and do this is actually develop guidance material for for the industry to, to implement remote live training. We, we work, for example, in, in commercial aviation with an industry body, IATA, to develop a white paper on the use of uh, uh, virtual classrooms and how, how that could be implemented, what the drawbacks and, and, the, uh, and the pitfalls were, as well as provide uh, a uh, input to a, to a white paper on the return to work for airlines as they began to spin up uh, post-COVID. Mm, that's going to be very useful. And on the defense and security uh, side, uh, Joe, perhaps you could share uh, what types of training were most in demand during this pandemic and how has the uh, delivery changed during that time? Sure, sure. and I'll, I'll harken back to my last uh, and previous comments saying, you know, for defense, given that 90% of our operations have actually continued throughout the pandemic, what that's actually meant for us is that the nature of service as we always deliver has actually stayed very much the same. You know, where we've seen a, a fairly substantial shift that creates an opportunity for us and our customers is to try and start taking advantage of the ability to, you know, provide things like distance learning, distance education, access to instructors that are not necessarily physically co-located with students. We have examples here, right here at home in Canada, for the NATO Flying Training in Canada program that we operate in Moose Jaw and in Cold Lake where the Canadian government, you know, absolutely realized that they need to continue to provide, you know, a training service to their students. And we provided, again, remote instruction through the classroom so that students could still have access to all the training curriculum and training material that we would normally provide, and yet be able to access instructors who were not able to travel from their own house, right? And I think what's fascinating to me is just think about what we're doing right now, right? We all have unique backgrounds. We all have and I mean background, like the things that are actually presented to be, you know, behind me and behind each of us, it doesn't matter where in the world we are in, right? We can provide a dialogue, we can provide assistance to our customers, we can provide instruction almost seamlessly, like you and I are sitting across from the table, right? It, all, all four of us are sitting in different places. We're all probably all sitting in our houses. So I think that fundamentally transforms the way people think about receiving information and, and certainly receiving training. Um, we have had an opportunity in defense to, to deliver what we called offboard instructor operator stations, because of course, 
Uh, one of the issues that we have when we're providing physical instructors, you know, co-located inside a simulator, you know, with our students or with students of our customers, of course, is the, is the need to try and reduce the close contact that you would normally have by sitting inside a simulator. So being able to simply have, you know, an instructor straight station that sits outside the simulator that provides all of the access and visibility to everything that's actually going on in an aircraft representation in a simulator, again, allows us to provide services to our customer that are remote, but still very close and co-located. It still allows us complete access to everything that's actually going on on the part of the student who's going through training. And uh, again, I think we see more and more opportunities to provide you know, that type of either co-located but physically separated training services that are just as good as if you're literally sitting inside the cockpit with a student right beside you. And so, you know, our customers are interesting in the sense that, you know, they have to operate regardless, right? Military fleets around the world were not grounded. They still had to perform their mission, which means their personnel still have to sit side by side, right? A pilot and a co-pilot and a navigator are sitting in a, in a small cockpit. So having to, to have conversations with our customers to say, look, there's still opportunities for us to try and create, you know, increased opportunities for physical distancing, yet still receive the same training service. Has it again been an education part, uh, you know, education activity on the part of us educating our customers on the opportunities that are available to them, try and do more enhanced methods to protect their students and protect our instructors. I think the take home is that we're now in a world where everybody is open to change, right? And I think we're so well suited and positioned to be able to affect that change across our industry, whether or not it's civil healthcare or defense. Uh, that we just have a great opportunity to take advantage of what has been a very difficult situation for many people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Amar, for uh, the uh, professionals in the, in the medical field, any types of training that was more in demand, I guess, related to the, uh, the pandemic itself? You know, I think uh, to, to Joe's point earlier, right, the healthcare workforce didn't change. It still uh, had to be boots on the ground. And if anything, we had to double and triple our workforce in a super short period of time, right? We saw individuals that uh, came out of retirement that had to be put into place. We saw field hospitals being mounted all over the world where they could handle additional uh, resources and people. And you saw just-in-time training happening um, in fields, right? Uh, you know, especially like in London, where they opened up a field hospital and had to train 4,000 people overnight, right? So certainly those elements are key to the work. Um, things that uh, really started to bubble to the surface uh, as a result of the pandemic was airway and ventilator training, right? And certainly you saw um, uh, individuals in demand because of just the notion of the disease and the impact it had on the respiratory system. And so, you know, we saw everything from uh, PPE, right? Uh, gloves, gown, mask, goggles. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons for transmission of, of COVID-19, like so many other pathogens of high consequence, was because we didn't properly know how to clean our hands or wear gloves or wear a face mask or cover our face when we cough, right? So, so much of the training that certainly came to be was because of those simple things that created so many complex situations. On the healthcare side, you know, um, we we pushed out uh, adaptive learning, education, and training, and you know, something unique, even in the in the in the discussions of learning, are we have the e-learning as a rote, uh, self-directed education element, but what about training that is custom to meet the needs of the individual, right? So learner-centered education that adjusts and tweaks to be not only 10 minutes or an hour, but certainly based on your individual knowledge and base experience and pushing that out to be able to be done in ventilator education or PPE or other things that we were doing 
certainly uh, uh, was uh, a high demand item in this in this in this environment right now. And maybe I'm going to continue uh, with you, uh, Amar. I want to know uh, if you could share what you think will be uh, training and education uh, trends uh, coming to the forefront, uh, given the the current uh, climate. Who would have uh, thought that a pandemic would push the digital initiatives uh, globally, right? Who would have thought that it's going to be the digital accelerator that we needed to do that? Um, I do think adaptive uh, learning um, and remote education is going to be here to stay, especially on the healthcare side of the house. We're seeing a lot of case study-based environment education happening where this, uh, like a team's environment where physiology modeling, ventilatory education is happening in a virtual instructor-led environment or in a simulation self-directed environment. Right. We're seeing certainly profiles of individual learners becoming the future of what we need. Data is, is a key cornerstone to our work, right? More now than ever, with people being such uh, distant away, for me to be able to understand where your base knowledge is and teach you and give you competency to the point where I'm comfortable letting you go without ever stepping foot into something is certainly pivotal. And, and the elements of digital, digital learning, digital simulation, Data adaptive is 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 our future. Is absolutely what's going to drive us forward. Mm. Uh, Chris, on your side, uh, any insight on uh, what you believe will be the training and education trend coming to the forefront? Uh, yep, uh, some some of it is uh, is, uh, is identical to what Amar and Joe said. It's the it's uh, accelerated the the move to digital and the use of data, certainly. And then the, that that's uh, that. Uh, that's something that will stay with us. I don't think it's going to go away, mainly because customers get used to it. And in, in a highly regulated industry, uh, the regulators are now comfortable. They're forced to become comfortable with the uh, ability to deliver trading remotely, whereas previously it would have possibly taken us five years to get to where we are today. It's happened in about five months. In um, in, in in general, the civil aviation training um, um, across all segments, I, I see our customers asking us for for training that is more efficient and effective. Uh, cost is, is is a key driver in, in in the industry, and they they want to see even now even more than ever um, the the trading dollar translate into improvement in line operations. So that's that's going to be key for us going forward. Um, Offboard or remote instructor operating simulators is, is technology we're working on now. It requires. Um, recertification in several cases from authorities around the world. While primarily today we, we, we see this as a, uh, as a means to keep our, our, our instructors uh, distanced from, uh, from, from students, uh, it's naturally going to translate into efficiencies where we can have instructors deliver simulated instruction across locations, right? Uh, and for us, this, this, is a, this, is, this is a great thing because you have consistency. Uh, you're able to have super instructors mentor other instructors remotely. This is something we've always struggled to do. And for the regulator, it allows them to evaluate the effectiveness of our training remotely as well. So it makes that, I don't think that will go away. I believe that will accelerate. Um, other trends that were already moving uh, in one direction before COVID um, uh, will, will, will continue to go that way. For example, in the civil aviation training market, um, uh, especially post the uh, 737 MAX accidents and, and the, the re-look that industry has had on the aircraft certification, uh, I, I'd expect to see increased participation of training providers such as us in determining uh, the initial and, uh, and new training requirements for aircraft types. Traditionally, this has been an area where the training provider is a passive recipient of training requirements 
uh, and did not have much choice. But I see that increasingly change as we become owners and providers of trading data, uh, and trading data becomes increasingly used to um, to determine trading requirements. In the business aviation segment, something we've been working on for years, and again, it's going to come to the fore as airlines seek, uh, as operators seek uh, uh, efficiency gains, is the use of what's called standardized curricula in the FAA world. This is uh, where we, we begin to get one set of curricula for a platform type or variant and uh, one set of approvals to use it, as opposed to having to individually uh, go back to the regulator and seek seek approval for uh, every trading center that seeks approval for the same platform delivered in their, in their, in their facility. I see that as being significant. And finally, um, before the COVID crisis, uh, in the pilot trading, civil pilot trading market in, in, in particular, uh, instructor shortage was a significant byproduct of the, of the pilot shortage. Uh, airlines snapped up instructors, their pilots stayed on till, till later, and, um, and trading providers around the world or, or, uh, struggled getting high quality instructors and keeping them. Um, with the layoffs or furloughs from the, from the airline, we now have a pool of extremely qualified pilots and pilot instructors from the recent experience in the airline world that become available to us. And uh, we see this, the, the use in, in training directly and also the use of subject matter experts in developing courseware. Mm. That's going to be very useful. Now. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, finally, uh, on your side, can you share your insights on the, what are the uh, the training uh, and education trends that you see? Sure. Well, it's interesting just following from both Amar and, and Chris, um, and I'll touch on on the uh, impact that you know the downturn on the commercial side has had in terms of you know restoring, let's say, a pool of instructors back into the population. And one of the big challenges that we had in the military, and this was common across all governments and all militaries world over was the attrition rate that military pilots were experiencing in the military and air forces were experiencing as those pilots were looking towards having a, you know, quote unquote, better life in the commercial aviation sector, business aviation sector, and of course, leaving in droves from military pilot training and, and military operations. Now, obviously, with defense being, again, an essential service, maintaining operation and so on, it provides us an ability to potentially restore, you know, the instructor pilot base that we actually have servicing the military. Now, whether or not that's working for industries such as ourselves and providing that service directly back to the military or, you know, returning as reservists back into the military itself has a dramatic change, obviously, in the makeup of military pilot training. What's interesting is you look at the U.S. Air Force as an example. You know, they're very much focused on making a recognition that that is actually, in fact, happening. But instead of having to worry about repositioning and replacing and moving people all over the world or to bit training bases around the U.S., the idea of having a centralized capability, not centralized by geography, but virtually centralized to actually access a, t a pool of talent that can then be delivered again as a training service or instructor service to anybody anywhere in the world or anybody any in the continental U.S., so it, it suddenly creates a, a level of flexibility that we've never seen before in our industry. And I think one of the areas that, that I find fascinating is tying to what Amarit commented about in terms of performance data and training data, right? It's no longer about measuring just the performance of a training system, right? It's about understanding the mechanism that we deliver training and the impact that that training delivery actually has on human performance. In other words, the students that are actually going through a training system and how do we tailor 
the delivery of our training media and our training services to actually match the characteristics of people. And if you think about even in our own operation and how we conduct meetings, how we conduct requirements reviews with a customer, how we actually mentor our own employees, the whole concept of now having to do all of this remotely is exactly the same kinds of things that we're addressing on the training side in the sense of we don't want to just be providing as a you know remote instruction without all of the, let's call it collateral benefits of having a relationship with our students or a relationship with our employees. So all of this now is centered around how do we better understand how people actually work and operate, how people learn, how people, you know, and in a remote condition can actually be supported perhaps better than we were able to do by actually having everybody physically co-located in one place or or in one location. Well, uh, that's very insightful. And I think uh, all these uh, trends, uh, as you're mentioning, uh, are here to stay. Uh, the three of you shared uh, some insights about things that have changed and are probably uh, going to remain uh, that way and will accelerate the, the change. So thanks for sharing. So in terms of our final question, because time is, uh, is, is flying, I want you to share perhaps um, what you think in terms of emerging uh, technologies, what excites you about the future? I'm going to start with you, uh, Joe. So uh, any new technology that excites you in the defense world? Lots, lots excites me, Helena. You know, I, I'm always I know. That's why. so that's never hard for me. Um, I, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things that I get really excited about. One is, uh, and we, we've been talking about, you know, the strategic direction of our organization in general, right? And, and saying, you know, there's an interesting balance that we're playing now. There's a balance of technology, right? And looking at technology and what can technology do to us. There's a, there's a balance of people. And, you know, I just spoke about the importance of really understanding the human condition in the environments that we operate. And if I really think about how do you pull all this stuff together into something that becomes a unified strategy as well as a unified vision for the future, it's what is our job? I mean, if you think about it, our job is really, you know, taking reality, right, and converting that into something that's digitized, something that's driven by technology and taking and being able to deliver reality in the hands of anybody anywhere in the world right now, right? And if you think about what we do with simulation, what we do with virtual environments, you know, representing the world, I mean, that's our job, right? Our job is representing the world in a synthetic way or in a different way, and then making it consumable by the people that actually have to operate it, whether or not they're students going through a training system, whether or not they're decision makers that are, you know, making critical decisions based on taking data from all sorts of locations and all sorts of sources and then making it interpretable by them, right? That is our job fundamentally at the end of the day. And if you look at where technology has advanced, everything through networking technology, digitization, big data analytics, artificial intelligence, you know, our ability to do ultra high fidelity representations of the world around us, every one of these things is, again, all about representing reality in a better way that makes us as people more effective in all of our jobs. And so I find that unbelievably exciting, right? Because to me, what it means is we have no limit anymore, right? We have a situation now that's been spawned by this, you know, unfortunate series of events. I think there was even a movie with that title that's created a, an infinite opportunity for us as technology providers and service providers who really put our focus on understanding people, right? Understanding how people work and operate and what it is that we have to do to actually make their life, their world, their day a better place, an easier place, and to make them more effective. Um, so that's that's like a, a whole vision I, uh, that I get really passionate and exciting about. 
there's a lot of things that fall out of that, right? Cybersecurity is a good one. I mean, the whole concept of saying, well, we're taking reality and making it easier to consume and easier to interpret and understand means, well, we have to protect that, right? Just as we are concerned about our own physical security or, or location security, building security, defense and security, it doesn't matter, right? We have to be protecting assets and we have to be protecting the data that people rely on. And so I certainly see a, a real increase in the need for us to understand the cybersecurity domain and make sure that that actually you know, parallels the developments and evolution of technology that we bring out to the customer space as we go forward in the future. Absolutely. And Chris, I'm going to ask you to perhaps uh, be, be short and share maybe one emerging technology that uh, excites you about the future. Yeah, no, that, that's easy to do because I think you're going to hear very common themes from all of us on, on, mm. on technology. But I'd like to preface what I'm about to say by, by saying that fundamentally, I believe, our, our, our approach needs to be people-centric. Uh, we need to apply robust training uh, design uh, to, to, to look at the problem we're trying to solve and not just throw technology at it. Um, if I had to talk about something that no one else has talked about thus far, I'd like to talk about uh, the use of informal learning. This is when people look up information in the course of doing work. Think about it. Um, a, a pilot goes to work and he has to look up a manual because it's been some time since he's, he's applied a particular procedure. He looks it up, uh, consumes that, and performs that task successfully. Yet he comes back into recurrent training, let's say six months later, and guess what's on his curriculum? The very same task he's just performed. The reason we do that is we don't know what he knows or don't know what he doesn't know. But technology is available today. Imagine your Google search, what, what you're doing and what's presented to you is based on your learning history, really, or your browse history. The exact same technology can be applied to adult learning because what you're doing is expressing a training need, coming back to what do people actually want to know, being able to harness that, uh, use that insight to drive new training content and space learning content is what excites me most. Very interesting. And, and Amar, I'm going to finish with you, but uh, I don't want us to end this podcast without you saying a few words <laughs> about the CAE Air One ventilator that we're seeing uh, in, the, in your background, something that the CAE has uh, um, pioneered and invented yeah. uh, first uh, in 11 days and then submitted for certification in Health Canada in only uh, six weeks. So I want you to talk about an emerging technology generally in your field, but talk about that particular technology <laughs> Um, because everyone at CA is so proud of what we're doing in that area. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, I think uh, from an emerging technology standpoint, I think the way we provide uh, communication is they're emerging, right? Uh, you've heard about uh, data and analytics and augmented and virtual reality and the leveraging of, of different types of uh, technology for just changing how we do immersive learning. Uh, but certainly, I think uh, what we're forgetting is the way we do conferences and educations today has changed. Right. No more in-persons. It's all virtual and digital. I think the whole world around us is certainly emerging and learning how to do these large person scale programs that are highly immersive and interactive. And that's certainly an emerging element. For us on our side, we're super excited about Air One. Um, you know, certainly, as you already mentioned, it was it was something that we undertook as a, as a large scale project and pushed it forward. And all of us at CA are absolutely excited to to, to let it out, right? To let it go and to let it uh, really impact patient care and, and really make an impact on the world around us. And so um, Air One was, uh, was uh, built out of the, out of, um, out of the love of, uh, of making healthcare safer mm -hmm. and really uh, changing how, we, how CA contributes to, to healthcare and healthcare patient safety. Um, you know, it supports uh, complex ventilations and, 
Um, it's designed for hospital systems. It's, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're certainly on that forefront of new technology. Here it is right here. It's very pretty. It's very functional. It's very effective. Um, and it's well designed for these complex COVID patients. And we're, we, I think we're at a point, all of us are, are just ready to let it out the door and, and let it really make that impact. Absolutely. Well, thank you uh, so much. And uh, thank you for joining us today. I hope uh, you enjoyed this first uh, podcast uh, by CAE. And thanks to uh, our panelists, uh, Joe Armstrong from CAE Defense and Security, Chris Ranganathan from CAE Civil Aviation Training Solutions, and uh, Amar Patel from uh, CAE uh, Healthcare. I think we've heard that uh, CAE's mission is all about safety. Uh, we've, we were impacted by the pandemic. But uh, definitely, we have adapted. Uh, we've changed our practices, and our, and uh, we have so much insights on how the training will evolve going forward. But uh, we're ready to take that on and uh, to make the world a safer place as well. So thank you all for your participation today. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to CAE podcast on COVID nineteen and new perspectives on training. If you want more information about CAE, please visit CAE.com.